The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 65. Praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion, and to you the vow shall be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh will come. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you will provide atonement for them. Blessed is the man you choose, and to cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. By awesome deeds in righteousness, you will answer us, O God of our salvation. You who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth. Amen. King, we thank you that we may come into your presence now, based solely alone on the precious blood of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. We desire, Lord, gathered as your people today, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth, that we might raise up our hearts to you, that you would cleanse us, that you would encourage us, that you would bind up what is brokenhearted in us as we seek to praise you. Lord, we pray that you would apply the gospel to our hearts, that we would have the faith and hope and joy of believing. We pray, Lord, that you would do this today for your glory in our lives and in our midst. We pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit upon us. Otherwise, we know we cannot worship you in a pleasing way. May the meditations of our hearts and the words of our mouths be acceptable in your sight today. And Lord, we join our mouths and our hearts together now as we pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's in the green hymnal on page 845, if you would like to turn there. I'm going to begin by asking you, since this is a confession of our faith, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, 
the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Dear believers, those who look to the Lord by faith in trusting in Jesus Christ alone to cleanse you from your sins, hear these words of the assurance of God's pardon. From 1 Corinthians 15. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. Let us continue to worship now by singing together hymn number 172, Let Us Love and Sing and Wonder. to hear a brief report from our brother, Mr. Mike Mills, who is the president of the Gideons for the state of South Carolina. Welcome, brother. We're happy that you're here. And this is Tweedy. Thank you for joining us in worship this morning. I tried to do this without dropping Ordinarily, there would have been no reason for him to be there. Not in my eyes. 
ordinarily it had been a very strange thing for him to be sitting on that little park bench on a cold, windy, cloudy morning. Yet, this was not an ordinary situation. It was a very called for situation. This was in Odessa, Ukraine in 2018, about this time of the year. Odessa, Ukraine is at a latitude about the same as New York City, which is a little bit cooler than it is here, but this was one of these days, Odessa's on the sea coast, and one of these days when the wind was blowing, the clouds were there, and it's very uncomfortable really outside. I and another Gideon brother had just been at a distribution in front of a school that schooled children. came in to the school. We were on the sidewalks and passing out scriptures to not only the school children, but also their parents. As we were leaving to go to another site for another distribution, I was carrying a box of Bibles. Slava, my Gideon brother, was carrying a box of Bibles. We were going to his car. I looked over in this little park area. This young man was sitting on his park bench. Why, I do not know, except God knew. God expected him, possibly called him to be there that morning. Possibly he didn't know why he went to that park bench that morning. All that, I don't know, but God knew. As I saw him, as so often the case, when God gives us an opportunity and puts an opportunity in front of us for personal witnessing, you look and you see and you immediately know that this is one of God's opportunities that's right there before you. It'd be a terrible thing to ignore that, that call that we have and feel that compassion that we have for that person, that sheep without a shepherd, just as Jesus did as He looked out at the crowds and He saw. What did He see? People wandering helpless and alone, not knowing where they were going, what they were doing. Yet, as he, Jesus saw them, He had compassion. And that morning there was compassion in my heart for that young man. I would guess about 20 years old. I didn't know it at the time. As I learned later in the course of this conversation, his name was Andre. But I walked over to him when I saw him and I had a little testament in my pocket. I opened it up and I'd learned because I was in Odessa, they speak Ukrainian or Russian. For the most part, I couldn't speak to the people directly, but I knew and had full confidence God could. In the back of the Testament, there's several verses, but it starts off with John 3.16. I'd learned during this week in Odessa that if I just opened that Testament, put my finger on John 3.16 and held it in front of someone, all I had to do was sit back and watch God work. I didn't have to get in the way. I didn't have to mess anything up. It was not about me. But the miracle of seeing the Holy Spirit work in a heart and a life and make a change immediately is just a magical thing. I held that testament in front of that young man with my finger on John 3.16 and I do not think there's any way that he could have read the entirety of that verse before tears were coming down his face. Tears just streaming down his face as he read John 3.16. I was very thankful about that time. I guess Slava wondered what had happened to Mike. Slava couldn't speak English and I couldn't speak Ukrainian, but we had a great time all week working together because we knew what we were doing together in God's name. He, Slava came back and he testified to that young man. I was sitting there on the bench with Andre with my arm around him and holding the testament as he read more. Bottom line is, he signed the back of his testament. He accepted Jesus Christ right there at that time, that moment, that morning. You know, here, when I speak to you this morning here at Lebanon Church, as I would any church, in the back is a little paragraph there that is so very important. You know, when a baby is born in a hospital, wherever it is born, it immediately needs care. You can't just toss it over on the floor and leave it there. The church cares for these new babes in Christ. It instructs that new believer at just underway signed his confession of faith in Jesus Christ to seek out a fellowship of Christians in a Christian church so that you can grow and be mentored. This is your duty 
Not only that, Lebanon Church, your fingerprints that morning on that little testament, your fingerprints were on that testament. Because of your support, we were able to give out over 94,000 copies of God's Word in a week in Odessa, Ukraine. There will be many more stories and I would be much too long if I kept on talking about that. I want to tell you some more. The Gideons have had a long association with the military and providing for the military. I'm holding in my hand a little naval testament that was approved in the early 1940s. In fact, it's got a little letter in the front from President Franklin Roosevelt. Oh, that our politicians would support such things today, not only in name but in deed. But President Franklin Roosevelt gave a little letter of advice in front of this testament. It is dated January of 1941. Well, you know what happened in December 1941. Young people, if you don't know, read your history and find out what happened at Pearl Harbor, December 7, 1941. A great attack. Just two months before that attack in December 1941, the Gideons were able to make a distribution at Pearl Harbor and give out over 3,600 copies of these little testaments there in Pearl Harbor. Many who have, were found floating in the waters of Pearl Harbor that day of December 7th. How many sail, sailors, airmen, other soldiers came to Christ before that attack that day? Well, you know what's happening in Ukraine even now. In 2018, we gave many testaments away to young people Cadets, both men and women, they were, I would say, 16, 17, 18 years old. They received these testaments to learn of salvation, Jesus Christ. Where, this is five years later, where are they this morning? You know what's happening. A number of them may have already given their lives. Hopefully, God worked in their lives through His Word. His Word that is the power to salvation that we are not ashamed of. We're not ashamed at all. Paul himself told us that. We just had a distribution down here at USC. Over 4,700 copies. This is just a couple weeks ago. Over 4,700 copies of these little testaments were given out to students down here at University of South Carolina a couple weeks ago. A place of great need. You know what it is like to be a college freshman, possibly. There's nobody wiser than a college freshman. Nobody knows more potentially. He knows everything there is in the world. But now with God's Word in His hands, He has the real truth. We'll be down here at the State Fair in a couple of weeks. Have a booth there. You never know what will happen. A couple of years ago, we were there. Tweety and I were there in the booth. And a young man walked up. He walked up with a deliberateness. He saw us from a distance and came to profess why he was an atheist. We had a good long conversation. I'd love to be able to tell you this morning he dropped to his knees and accepted Christ on the spot. But I can tell you, he left with a copy of God's Word and he also, I'm certain, was not as sure of his, and certain of his atheism as when he came there. Just a um, few weeks ago, and Brother Devi, wherever I can't put my eyes on him, but... Brother Deby paved his way often. We went up to, on Good Friday this year, to the detention center here locally. There was four of us went there, and we presented testaments to the inmates. And we're back in the cell block, and if you want to feel locked in, go back in that cell block, hear those doors closed behind you. Two or three of them that clanked shut went in and talked to the inmates there in the detention center. Fifteen dropped to their knees on that hard concrete floor and confess Christ as their Savior. Possibly that door was opened by the teaching that D.V. gives, but the Holy Spirit was at work. That's what's so magical, magical to see the Holy Spirit work. Nigeria, a couple years ago, over 540,000 copies of God's Word with your fingerprints on them were given in Nigeria. Mexico City this spring Six over 600,000 copies. The goal was to give out about 380,000. But yet the people were ready and willing and eager to receive God's Word there in Mexico City. 
over 600,000 copies of God's Word were given out by a team of Gideons from both the United States, around the world, and the Mexico Gideons there in Mexico City. Six, over 600,000. Those little testaments touched many more lives. If you could look closely, you would see the fingerprints of you congregations of Lebanon Church because of the support. Gideon's Guild, we guild. At the International Convention this year, a goal of about $3 million was set related to the International Convention held in Kentucky. It ended up over $4.5 million were given to support the distribution and buy these testaments, give out. But still, that will not buy the numbers of testaments. $4 million. They cost right now about a dollar and sixty cents. So you see, that's less than four million. We're giving away presently over sixty million a year. If you take your hand, heartbeat, touch your heart. Every time you do that, somewhere around the world, a Bible or testament is given to someone. Every time you do that, night and day, twenty-four-seven, does not matter. Well. Pastor, I'm going to give you this. This is called a life book. You can help now. Thank you. This life book is available for you young people here. Often we cannot get into directly into schools. I'm not going to talk too much about that because here in Fairfield we're blessed to be able to get in most of the classrooms. But yet, this, this little life book is for the young people that they can have themselves and they're free, absolutely free. Google lifebook.com. Pastor or youth leader just has to request them. They'll send you a box of those for the young people. They use them in their own personal testimony to their peers. The only cost is don't put them on a shelf and not use them. You give them out and they're used. I see you have a Gideon card displayed back here. You ask how can you help? You can help the people that needs a card that you send a card to, the cards are absolutely free. I hope that you use them. I believe you do. It could be a memorial or any type of card that you would give. You use those Gideon cards, send that, and you buy Bibles in the name of the person that you want to honor or recognize. We have a program now. What is it we're all about? What is this church about? We are about reaching the lost for Christ. Reaching those that otherwise might not hear. We have a new program called Conversations. And that's what, that's what witnessing is. Now, I won't be a hypocrite and say that at one time I wasn't deathly afraid to speak to anyone about Christ to share my faith. Why? I don't know. What are they going to do? Well, they might beat you up certain circumstances. They may curse you out. That happens. Sometimes it does. They may tell you to go away. But more often than not, you're surprised at the reaction of the person, no matter what they look like, when you offer them a copy of God's Word. What about the woman that was on Kwajalein in the South Pacific? I offered in a breakfast line one morning. She was taking tickets. Her reaction, I had no idea. She was a Marshallese woman on a smaller toll in the South Pacific. Her reaction, wow, wow, what is it? A Bible. And then she began to read, even though she continued to do her job. The power of salvation is held in these words that we can all participate in. I wish that clock would slow down. But One more thing. You never know what to expect. The other night, I went down to downtown Salem Crossroads. We have a downtown... <laughs> We have a Dollar General downtown Southern Crossroads. That's great. Very convenient. I went, I forget what I went for. It doesn't really matter. It was a particular calling as I pulled up in the parking lot. I saw a man on a motorcycle. Now this was about 9 o'clock. It was dark. Man on a motorcycle with a bandana, a beard. I'm not saying anything. But just, you think, hmm. I went in and it came out. I said, yes, there he is. I see your beard. But I'm, that's, there he is. I can't walk away. 
I have to talk to him. I scrounged around. I found one of these in in the uh, truck. Walked over to him, and I, I'd seen that he was doing something, drawing something. Walked up to him. I saw he had a knife with a blade about that long on it. I thought, well, this is great. <laughs> Dark. Nighttime. But that was his pencil sharpener. He was working on a beautiful drawing, pencil sketch. I almost hesitated to say this, but I suspect that some of you saw the movie Titanic a few years ago and the pencil sketch being drawn in that movie. Well, this sketch was very similar to that. A beautiful pencil sketch of a woman that was the mother of a friend. He was drawing this to give to his, his friend because his mother had just recently passed away. It's a pencil sketch. Absolutely beautiful. He was drawing it. We got to talking a little bit, and as God often leads, I offer it in the Testament. We prejudge too much. Prejudge what we see. He started quoting to me Scripture, <laughs> telling me how he was a saved son of and child of Jesus Christ. What a blessing. We don't know what we might see anytime we approach anyone. But oftentimes, these times when we meet others that are saved in the name of Jesus Christ, we're blessed more and more. But we have to take the opportunities. that I mentioned conversation? My run, mind's running. Conversation. I'll come back to it now. This is a program where we as Gideons have trained teams that will come into the church here. It takes about three hours, good for a Saturday morning, to teach you as a congregation, anybody that wants to attend, it's role-playing and teaching how to personally witness to others. We want you to share in the joy of reaching out to others. Almost. Almost. Thank you. Thank you to Mr. Mike and the Gideons. And just a reminder, it was said at the beginning of the service, but in case you missed the announcement, if you would like to give uh, towards providing Bibles for the Gideons to distribute, uh, you can do so by taking the pew back envelope in front of you uh, or just putting it in the memo line of your check today if you give. And just designate it that way to be uh, going to the Gideons. At this time, we're going to do our responsive reading together. We're going to read Psalm 5. This morning, it's on page 786. Page 786, Psalm 5. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait. In expectation. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. In reverence will I bow down toward your holy temple. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with destruction. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. Amen. Let's stand together and turn to hymn number 455 as we sing together, And Can It Be?
missionaries Robbie and Murray Lathrop and their work in Florida. also like to pray today uh, particularly for the ministry of the Gideons as they distribute New Testaments. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, it is our joy and our distinct privilege as your children, your sons and daughters, to call upon the name of the Lord to be in your presence, to raise up our petitions and our requests. Lord, we thank you for the faith and hope because of the Lord Jesus Christ that you not only hear us, but you answer in your good time. In your providence, you do answer all the prayers of your people. Lord, help us to remember that when we might be weary and tired ourselves of offering up the same request again and again. Help us to remember that you never tire of hearing us and that you do answer us. Lord, we lift up to you the ministry of Robbie and Murray Lathrop and their work in Florida. We pray, Lord, that you would give them great success in the things that their hands take up to do. We pray that you would help them to be a light and a witness to you. And Lord, I pray for the divine appointments that you give them, the times that they have to meet men and women, to talk about hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray in the midst of their work, in the day-to-day things that they have to do, all of us understand what it means to have a to-do list. But I pray, Lord, in the midst of work and tasks, that they wouldn't miss opportunities that you put right in front of them to share the gospel, to speak of hope and love and Jesus' sacrifice for sinners and the true gospel that you call us to yourself by your grace. Lord, I pray that you would give them delight in that work, that they would enjoy it, and that you would humble them as they get to speak the words of life to people. Lord, I also lift up to you the Gideons. I pray, Lord, that you would bless these men and the ladies in the auxiliary as they seek to serve you and to serve this world around us by sharing New Testaments, by distributing them and and hearing of testimony this morning of people who rejoice to have the Bible. Lord, I pray that you would help us as your people to be people of the Bible. That we would not take for granted that we have the words of life right in front of us. Your word that you have given to us. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't set aside our relationships with you or think that we can prioritize the Bible another day. Lord, help us as your people to see correctly, to hear rightly from you. And Lord, I pray for our people here at Lebanon. As many are going through trials and sufferings of of great 
consequence in their lives and for their families. Lord, we lift them up to you knowing that you are the good heavenly Father who orders everything about our lives. And we pray, Lord, for the grace to trust you in the midst of our own difficulties. And Lord, we pray for one another as we trust and hope that our brothers and sisters are praying for us. And I pray, Lord, that in the midst of our sorrows that you would give us great joy and a firm hope because of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. This morning we're going to read verses 28 to 44. This morning's sermon is entitled, The Anger of Jesus. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 28. This is the word of the Lord. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man, who opened the eyes of the blind, also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, said to them, Loose him and let him go. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Today's sermon is entitled The Anger of Jesus. I am adapting and, and borrowing this title from Reverend Sinclair Ferguson from a recent devotion that he gave uh, on, I would call it the radio, but it's a podcast called Things Unseen. It might seem abrupt to talk about the anger of Jesus in this passage as you read it, and maybe one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, that short verse, Jesus wept. It seems like what he was overcome with here was sorrow and pain at the loss of his dear friend Lazarus and seeing the, the pain and anguish in his sisters, Mary and Martha. But on the contrary, I think that the large display that we see here is not sorrow, but rather anger, anger, indignation from Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. You might say, well, is that out of place? Is it inappropriate that Jesus would be angry? How can you talk about the Son of God as being someone who's angry? That seems a little off, and I'm kind of uncomfortable with you maybe even implying it today, but I believe that it is actually the most appropriate, the most holy response from the righteous Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, when he saw the horrors of sin's impact upon all creation, including daily sin that you and I wrestle against, the fear of and the actual nature of death that he saw his people walking through. Keep in mind what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. The devil is a real person. There are battles happening every day that you and I may not see with our eyes, but they are going on. And I believe that with perfect clarity, with perfect knowledge, Jesus saw what was happening with Mary and Martha. He heard the cries of those who were there to comfort them. But he also saw the battle that was raging, that was not visible to the naked eye but nonetheless was being waged. And I believe that is why Jesus responded 
In this passage, when it says that he groaned within himself in the spirit, it was anger and indignation over what his people were enduring because of the fear of death, of the sin that hung over them. And the righteous Lamb of God came as the victor to deliver them from it. So what's going on in this passage? Very briefly, Jesus had been away with the disciples. Word is sent from the sisters that Lazarus is dying. He's very sick. And intentionally, in John 11, John tells us that Jesus stayed back. He decided not to rush right away. Maybe against conventional wisdom when you hear this kind of language now. But the disciples misunderstood what was going on. They didn't understand that what Jesus was trying to tell them, he had to come out and tell them. First, he said Lazarus was sleeping, and we're going to go wake him up. And then they didn't understand. So he says, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sake that I'm not there. That's pretty abrupt. I'm glad. How can you put death and glad side by side together and they exist? And especially from Jesus, the Son of God. They even said, you know, Jesus, you might remember the last time we were there, the Jews were trying to stone you. They want to kill you. They're not interested in hurting you. They want you to stop breathing, your heart to stop beating. And if we go back, it's probably going to happen. And here, the disciples give voice to something that all of us spend a lot of energy and time trying to do each day. Avoid death. Make decisions that will will not have accidents take place. Death and the fear of death was part of the curse. And the disciples think that if Jesus doesn't go to Bethany, he won't die. That he can avoid death. And yet the Bible says that that's the reason he came. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. It's why he came. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Joseph was told, You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It's why he came. It was the whole point. But even the sisters misunderstood. That's going on in this passage too. They don't understand what's going on. They both go to Jesus and say those words. If you had been here, my brother would not have died in verses 21 and 32. And Jesus tells Martha with such comforting words, your brother will rise again. But then in verses 25 to 26, Jesus said, because she didn't understand either, I know he'll be raised again in the resurrection. And he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He put it to her that way. In the moment of her grief and pain, four days after her brother had been put in that tomb, But they didn't understand. And you wonder for just a moment. Jesus wasn't having an identity crisis. I need you to know who I am. Jesus was not offended by the questions or even by the statements they were making. He wasn't put off. He's not mad or short-tempered. And he's not saying, woe is me, Father. It's much worse here than I thought it would be. None of this is a surprise to Jesus. So what does it mean, this phrase in verse 33 and verse 38, that he groaned in his spirit and was troubled? It's not simply pain or sorrow. That's not far enough. It's actually not far enough for the the Greek language that's used here. Though we know he was grieving, in verse 35 it says that he wept. They were real tears. He was sorrowful. Grief was part of the response that was displayed for the people to see as he was raging inside. What John tells us as Jesus approached the grave in a state not of uncontrollable grief, but of irrepressible anger. He did not respond to the spectacle of human sorrow with quiet, sympathetic tears. The emotion that tore Jesus' breast and clamored for utterance was just and righteous rage. Though it was strongly curbed, its manifestation fell very far short of its real intensity. The spectacle of Mary's distress and Martha's distress enraged Jesus because it displayed the evil of death, its unnaturalness, its violent tyranny. In her grief, 
in their grief, he sees the general misery of the whole human race. These are his people. He is moved to compassion for them, but he is moved with rage. This is how my people are suffering. This world was created for the glory of God, and look at them. His anger was born out of a jealous love. A love for His people. And it gives rise to such hatred and indignation. Not only for sin, but also for the enemy of God's people. For the one who wields the power of death. And who hangs it over them. Number three this morning. Why should you and I, in these last couple of moments this morning... Why should you and I rejoice in this? Why should we find or take comfort or find freedom at all in the anger of Jesus? And maybe for some of you, you would say, I have a hard time thinking of Jesus being angry because you've endured what seems to be unjust wrath and anger. You've suffered in fear because of it. Because someone who doesn't know how to control their temper, this isn't what was happening here. It's appropriate that Jesus should hate every false way Because that is love. This anger was born out of love for his people. I want to give you three reasons why you should rejoice in this today. Number one, because absolutely everything that happens in our lives comes from the hand of God. Nothing is an accident, a mistake. There's never a surprise in the throne room of heaven. Why? Jesus told the disciples... This is happening so that you might see the glory of God. Our friend, my friend, Lazarus, is going to die. And we're going there to raise him. But I stayed here so that you might see the glory of God and believe. That is the primary reason Jesus came. For the glory of God. As you think about the things that happen in your life, I want you to think about them this way. If this week you encounter something good, something you would call a blessing, you are to rejoice in the favor of God, in His goodness and in His provision for you. And if it is bad, you are to rejoice in His promise to His people to bear you up, to deliver you in the midst of the trial, not deliver you from it. In the midst of it, He promises to be with His people, to be all that they need, to provide for them, to care for them. And he promises he will either deliver you in this life or in the next. So rejoice that your heavenly father is caring for you through your savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that he has favored you in this life to trust him by faith and to be sustained walking with him. We should have humility before God to trust him that he could lead another to faith in our trial. Did you catch that? Jesus told the disciples that Lazarus is dead. I stayed so that you might see the glory of God. You have no idea how the Lord may be using trials and sorrows and grief in your life to draw other people to himself. Who knows, God alone, how he may draw people Out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light through your tears. Number two, why we should rejoice in it. Because Jesus fulfilled his covenant promises for redemption. And he uniquely endured and defeated death for all of his people. There are two types of fear in this world. And two types of death. Spiritual fear. Spiritual death as in the case in Adam and Eve. They were living spiritually. And then as soon as they disobeyed God and ate of the fruit that they were told not to. They died. And we have fear of that in this world. We do. Even those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, they fear spiritual death. They know there's nothing they can do about it. But there is also fear of physical death. And every person in the world clamors as hard as they can to try to cheat it. And you can't. We deceive ourselves into thinking that we can. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27. It's appointed for men once to die and thereafter the judgment. That's physical death. The disciples and the sisters, they feared it. Jesus saw it in them. But he told them in 
Chapter 11, verse 40. Did I not say that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? And then he spoke, Lazarus, come forth. And we all know that dead people can't hear. They have ears, but they can't hear. Dead people are dead. Jesus asked in Matthew 9, verse 5, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or arise and walk? Jesus was here proclaiming that I have the power over life and over death. The one who can say arise and walk, who can heal a broken man or woman, can also speak to a dead person. And that dead person responds with life. And in the same way, he speaks to people today. He calls forth life in spiritually dead people. We believe that there is no other way for a person to believe and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ except that he do it. Except he call by his grace, we won't come. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. By becoming a true man, the eternal Son of God was able to address the problem of our sin by conquering the devil who holds the power of death. Lastly, Why should you rejoice in the anger of Jesus today? Because Jesus' love will not let you go. The immediate subordinate end of what was taking place here, what Jesus was doing, was to bring us to God. He is absolutely committed, Jesus is, to destroying everything that would prevent your salvation. He hates death, he hates it because of the way it seizes and separates his own blood-bought people from one another. And he hates the sin that lies behind it. As we consider the love of Jesus, it can sometimes make us tremble. Because it's a fierce love. A determined love. An uncompromising love. A holy love that is committed to having the whole of your life and my life without reservation. And this means that the one way we can test our own hearts. Do I belong to the Lord? Can I know today for sure that I belong to Him? That the love of Jesus grips my heart and not some phantom, is that we thoroughly, unequivocally hate sin. That we grieve over it as it rises in our hearts. That we pray for the gift of repentance from it and endeavor by all God's grace after new obedience in His presence. Jesus was angry as He approached the grave, but He did go walking as the conquering King, he knew the battle that was about to take place and he knew that he was about to win. Praise the Lord. We have no reason to fear death. The resurrection was the removal of the one who had the power of death and by Jesus defeating it, we have no need to fear. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I pray for your people today, for those who are here this morning who trusted you by faith, that you would comfort them. But Lord, I also pray for those in this room this morning or next door who are listening who may not know you, who their hearts are being pricked and moved. Do I know the Lord Jesus? Does he know me? Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself by your spirit, that you would not give them a peace until they have met with you. Lord, I pray that they would surrender their hearts, that you would give them the gift of repentance, that they would desire to walk in obedience before you. And Lord, may that be the test for each of us, that we would not look to anything else but to see, are we loving? Are we walking in your ways? Do we love your people? Are there signs of obedience and life in our hearts because of what you have done for us? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's word by singing hymn number 708, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go.
You may be seated as we take an offering to the glory of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the deep, deep abiding love of our Lord Jesus Christ. We hope in it and we rest in it today. We pray, Lord, that you would receive our tithes and our offerings as tokens and symbols of our trust and hope in you, that you will provide for all of our needs. And we pray, Lord, doing this, knowing that we do it in obedience to your command. And we pray that you would use our tithes and offerings this day for your glory, that the name of Jesus might be spread about this state, this country, and this world. For Jesus' glory alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in all of your troubles and all of your darkness, remember what you are and what you have. You have been loved with an everlasting love. You have been supported and are supported by the everlasting arms. You are recipients of everlasting life and heirs of an everlasting kingdom, all sealed and made sure by the blood of an everlasting covenant. Amen. Go in his peace. Amen.